0: Today we're answering a few commonly asked questions about the church. Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman and my goal is to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus. None of us live life perfectly, but if Jesus is at the center of our relationships, we definitely live life better. Well one thing is for certain, life brings changes. And if we ever had any doubt of that, well this past week has been A good one to remind us that change is always on the horizon. We've had a few changes this week that will cause quite a few other changes in our life. And the instigator of all these changes was Tuesday, Susan's mom fell and broke her hip. So the good news is, the ambulance was here in like three minutes, and she was able to have a partial hip replacement the same day she fell. And everything went well. The changes that we brought about will ripple through the whole family as we learn to adjust. We have just almost got to the point where we learned what it was like to live with Grandma, and we moved back to the States, as many of you know, to allow Susan to take care of her mom. And we saw some uh, mobility issues and different things that told us it was time. And this week it was proven it was time. It was a good thing that we were here. Susan and my youngest daughter were home when her mom fell. They were able to uh, make the call really quickly, get an ambulance there, help her get ready, and go to the to the hospital. And through all of the the difficult things of figuring out, making decisions, uh, Susan was able to walk through that with her mom. Her mom's still in the hospital as of this recording. By the time you listen to it, she may be on her way to a nursing home where she'll go through the initial rehab before she can come home. So all that to say, changes are coming. Uh, Changes are on the horizon for all of us always, and it's just part of life. So as we recognize that this week, hopefully you recognize there are changes coming in your life, hopefully mostly good changes, but recognize that as we often talk about in here, all of our changes, ultimately, God is in control of, and He allows these things to come into our life for a reason. Uh, he is growing our faith through them. He is putting us in positions where we are able to uh, to glorify Him, to point people to Him, where able would have conversations that we couldn't have had otherwise. Uh, we're able to be comforted in our trials, and God uses that to grow us to allow other people to be comfort- comforted. So, all of this is part of life, (laughs) growing as a believer, uh, part of being the person that God is growing us into. So many, many changes. Well, that's not really the topic of the show today. We're actually thinking about the church, and we've been doing that the last several shows, so I wanted to step back and answer a few common questions that people have, and I'm not sure how far I'll get into these, and some of them are more common than others, and some of them maybe are more important than others, but we will give a stab at at least addressing some of these. And this is not a, a deep dive Bible study. That's usually not my intention with this show. You have lots of opportunities to do that through through books and through uh, other podcasts and through different teachers and hopefully through your, your pastor and small group and things like that. But I do want to address some of these questions today. So the first one is the big question why? <laughs> why church? What is the purpose of the church? Uh, and that's a good, a good question. And we're going to look at two specific ways of looking at this. One is the purpose of the church, just strictly answer that, but then also thinking about these broad purposes of the church and how do they interact with the mission of the church, which is maybe slightly different. A lot of people maybe wouldn't make that distinct, distinction, but uh, I'm going to, and we're going to kind of think about those things a little bit before we go on to other questions. So first purpose of the church. Historically, a lot of people really break it down into uh, five distinct things that the church exists to do. And this is really a lot lot of the activity of the church. And those five uh, historically and often are identified as evangelism, discipleship, ministry, worship, and community. Now, some churches would maybe have fewer or have more, word those differently. I'm gonna stick with that for now and say those are important. Some people say community, they might say fellowship. There's other ways of thinking about some of these things. They're all important, certainly. And they all are wrapped up in this why of the church. And let's go back and look at those individually. Evangelism. Why is that so important? Why is that one of the purposes of the church? What exactly is it? Well, it is carrying the good news of the gospel to the world uh, in its simplest form. You know, the Bible tells us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Well, the good news is that, big picture, God loves us. If you're stuck in the world today and you see the the train wreck that it seems like many societies are in, many cultures are are facing this just absolute train wreck of a society and, and cultural collapse and all these things. It's good news to know that God exists and he loves you. And I would usually tie up in that to some degree. God has a purpose. God has a plan and it's not necessarily what you might think that it is or want it to be. Some people wish that God would just fix their immediate problems or fix their immediate uh, culture or wrap that up with their, uh, their view of the country or of the world. And so say just want God to fix all of these things and then leave us alone. Well, that's not really the good news. The good news is that God has a bigger plan than our small plans. <laughs> the good news is that he wants to redeem us. He wants to reconcile us with himself. He wants fellowship with us. And we couldn't do that. So the gospel says that God loved us, chose us. And when we were still enemies of God, when we were far separated from God, that he sent Jesus, his son, to this earth in human form, fully 100% man, fully 100% God, and that he died on the cross. And he had to be 100% man to die on the cross, to God... uh, 100% God, without that part, 100% man, could not die on the cross. But without being God, his death on the cross wouldn't be meaningful. It wouldn't be able to accomplish what God needed to accomplish. So we have Jesus come and die on the cross. He went into the grave, and he came out of the grave. And the resurrection is a key, central component of the gospel, and it's also super important. Because he came out of the grave, we have hope. And Paul says if Jesus didn't come out of the grave, then our faith is meaningless. Uh, We're miserable creatures if if we have faith in something that didn't happen, if we have faith because of something that didn't happen. So the good news is that all this happened, and God used the death of Christ, used his resurrection, and, and used all that was accomplished in that. And there's It's a whole other really fascinating study and really important study. If you think about all that was accomplished through what uh, Jesus did on the cross. I mean, it's just uh, so much was accomplished that couldn't have been accomplished any other way that that I know of. Um, Because of his death, our our sin is... uh, Because of his death, we have the opportunity to, uh, to really fellowship with God, to approach the throne room of grace. We have the opportunity to be, uh, to talk to God. I mean, it's, it's amazing if you think of how much uh, God accomplished through the work of Christ on the cross. The next one we want to look at is discipleship. And discipleship and evangelism really, I, I almost believe that it's a false Um, way of looking at to to distinguish between these, because really discipleship begins with this whole process of evangelism. Uh, Discipleship is the process of one person and their relationship with God growing into Christ-likeness. It's the process of pursuing Him, and it really begins before you're saved, as as God draws you to Himself. Or if you want to look at disciple-making, it begins with the gospel, or even conversations prior to the gospel being shared, you have this disciple-making process where we're sharing our testimony and who God is and the foundations that we really think of as being evangelism that really are important if we're going to get to the point of making disciples and helping one, someone grow in their relationship with Christ. So there is a little bit of a difference There's in. Uh, Pre faith in Christ and post faith in Christ, if you want to do that. But I really wrap all of evangelism up into discipleship and say it's really the early steps of discipleship are evangelism. The early steps of disciple making are really evangelism, even pre-evangelism. But all that aside, (laughs) leaving evangelism is something we've already talked about. What's the next step? Discipleship. Once someone has placed their faith and trust in Christ, then they have this journey that begins of walking with Christ, of living life as a follower of Christ. It is a life of, of commitment, a life of discipline, a life of uh, living out your faith. Uh, that's what it's supposed to be. Now, often we have Christianity without discipleship. We have Christianity where people accept Christ. They place faith for eternity in him. But then their life day to day is is basically unchanged. They make a few minor adjustments to kind of seem a little more Christian, quote-unquote, but they're not really disciples as the early disciples were, where they committed their lives to Him. They committed their lives to being like Christ, to pursuing Him. And one of the best illustrations that, that I've come across that maybe makes a lot of sense as we think about what it means to be a disciple is in the history of Judo, as you had Jigoro Kano, was the Japanese man who, who came up with Judo. He took several other martial arts and realized that there's so many things that you can't practice at full speed, so let's get rid of these things that are dangerous to train and leave only the things that you can train full speed. And so that's how he kind of had this philosophy that allowed him to come up with Judo. Well, what he did, come up with this philosophy, come up with the things you could do. He started the first judo dojo, the first gym that taught judo. And he had his first men who really committed to learn judo from Jigoro Kano. And many of them lived either with him or at the gym and they committed their lives to learning this new martial art, this new discipline. It was a lifestyle. They learned a lot about him and his philosophy and how he taught and what he taught. And how this worked out, in the long run, eventually he had taught all these men and he was unknown basically. One small dojo in Japan in the midst of all the martial arts, karate and uh, Aikido and all these things that are, were more common in Japan. The police department began looking for a martial art to teach all of their policemen. So they held a competition. And they invited all of these different dojos from across Japan to come and be represented. And so Jigoro Kano was one of those who brought his students and was represented. So they divided this into weight classes and they had matches. And they had, I want to say, close to 100 matches. There were quite a few matches across the different weight classes. And the way it turned out, this initial judo dojo only lost one match. So overwhelmingly, their system was proven to be effective and particularly effective for police officers where they're not looking to kill people. So even if you had, you wanna say, well, some of these other disciplines had maybe more effective uh, strikes or things that that were illegal in this kind of competition. Well, generally police officers don't wanna kill the person they're trying to arrest. So actually judo turned out to be a great uh, match for the police department. And what happened, and this is really interesting, we think about disciple making and discipleship. These men who had committed their lives to follow Jigoro Kano and to learn judo and learn his lifestyle, learn how to teach and how to be a judoka, they were sent out all across Japan to teach the police departments. All of these men became disciple makers, they taught other people the principles of judo. They taught them the training, the lifestyle, how to carry these things out. And it, it overwhelmingly, you know, is, was a success. Even today, you'll find police departments in Japan that still teach judo to the community. So Jigoro Kano had his initial disciples who learned everything and then took that to others. That's this process of discipleship. It's having the master that you learn from and committing to learn their life, their lifestyle, their teaching, the content of what they teach, how they teach it, all the whys. That's what the, the 12 disciples did with Jesus. They really focused on his teaching, living with him, following him from place to place, learning his lifestyle. How did he live? Uh, they learned all this so that ultimately, when you get into Acts, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you have the start of the church, you have these men that they had things they didn't know that they had been taught that were the Holy Spirit was able to bring back to their mind, and they became the first church planters, if you will. They became the men who helped the church, the early church, to get started. Um, Paul was really good at taking men and building them up, encouraging them, helping them to be devoted to Christ. And he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And this is really the the heartbeat of a disciple maker. I want to follow Christ. And to the extent that I do that in the way that I do that, I I want you to follow me. And now where I veer off the path and I'm not following Christ, don't follow me, follow Christ. But I want to be a disciple. I want my life to be devoted to following him. So evangelism and discipleship are two Sides of the same coin, really, but this is why the church was created to carry the good news to the world and for the people who accept it, who follow Christ, who place their faith in Him, to help them become more like Him, to help them join in this mission of taking the message of reconciliation to the world. And then the third thing we mentioned, evangelism, discipleship, ministry, really maybe has a lot to do with that taking the message to the world, but We have evangelism already there, which is taking the message, and discipleship, which is building up. So one way to think about ministry, it it does include those things. Certainly evangelism is a ministry. Discipleship is a ministry. But every single believer has been given gifts, spiritual gifts that the church needs and has been given an opportunity. And there's the expectation that you will use your gifts to help build up the church. I think Ephesians 4, go to that all the time. This is what it's talking about where we have pastors and teachers and and all of these roles where their goal is to help the church to do ministry, which is help the church to understand what ministry is and how their gifts come into play to build up the church. When you look at the one another throughout the New Testament, many, many times it says, love one another, build up one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. All these times when it's saying one another, really, this is, I believe— the ministry of the church to the church. So all of us have gifts and opportunities for ministry that the church needs, that the church requires. And there's an expectation as you grow as a disciple, as you grow in your ability to understand who Christ is, what he's done for you, and what he has changed in your life, you begin to take that and invest then in other people. And in the church, this is this equipping ministry. It's the ministry of building up the church to be able to do the work of the ministry outside the church, which might be called evangelism. So these three are really, really important when we think about the why. Why do we have the church? The fourth one is worship. And it flows very naturally from these first three, I believe, if we're doing it right. When someone really understands that God exists, that He loves them, that He has a plan and a purpose, that He is sovereign, and this world, as dark as it seems and as crazy as things are, ultimately God will fix and that He is working history out for His purpose. Um, When we understand that and understand how big God is and how big His plan is and how He is able to even take... Our mistakes and our failures and all the, the terrible things that humans do to each other, He's able to take those and use those in ways that ultimately end in good. You know, Romans eight twenty eight all things work together for good. God is able to do something amazing even with the terrible things that happen in the world today. How do you respond to that? Well, I think the natural response should be worship. (laughs) We want to humble ourselves before God, lift Him up, uh, praise Him, worship Him, thank Him. That should be the natural response to understanding who God is, to getting the good news. And then discipleship is this process of our faith growing and us, understanding what it means to follow Jesus and what he has done in our life what he is doing in our life and understanding our gifts and this ministry that we have to each other again the result of that should be worship in our life it it should result when we are doing it right when we're serving others that should result in them worshipping uh, so worship really is a natural result of of knowing God and should be a natural result of knowing his people now when we think about the church, one of the problems is uh, the church doesn't always reflect God well. We really reflect on Him poorly quite often. But done as intended, the church uh, really gives many, many people a reason to worship. And then the last one. So we have evangelism, discipleship, ministry, worship, and community, or fellowship, if you want to call it that, but community is a good word. We have this body of Christ, this family of believers. And the purpose of the church is to unite this family of believers into this special body, a special people. And the Bible calls it a peculiar people. Uh, and that's not just saying that Christians are weird, although that is often true. <laughs> uh, but it, we're special, we're set apart. And what sets us apart? It's, it's not that we're more moral than the world. And I know some people would like to say, well, that that should be. Well, yes, I agree that we should be, but that's not what makes us a peculiar people. That's not what sets us apart is that we're more moral. What sets us apart is that Jesus chose us, that our fellowship is centered on him, not on us, not on our likes and dislikes. And it's one reason why, in spite of all of the failures of the church and the The fighting and infighting and all these things. It's not about us. If we if we can step back and see really what we're united by, and the reason we're even having these arguments is because God has drawn together people from all over the world, all different kinds of backgrounds, cultures, likes, dislikes, and he has united us in this special body through faith. And we are his peculiar people that he has chosen that he uh, leads as the head of the church. We're the special body. That's what makes us a peculiar people, that we focus on Jesus, that we share his message, not our own message. We're not going around trying to do good uh, because we have come up with this idea looking at the world of how to fix it. We share the message of Jesus. That makes us peculiar. We're not more moral, We should be as we grow in Christ's likeness. Definitely. We should be growing in our, our morality. We should be growing in our ability to, to reflect uh, his glory better. But we're really peculiar people because we're his people. So evangelism, discipleship, ministry, worship, and this special community uh, all are wrapped together and tied up. And part of this being the special people, this special people. Carry the good news, not our own good news, the good news that Jesus came. It's His good news. Um, we help people grow as disciples, as followers of Jesus. Again, it's not about becoming more like us. You're not, I don't want you to become more like me. That would be very bad. <laughs> you want to become more like Jesus. We serve, we do ministry, we serve each other, not because the other person deserves it. No one deserves to be served except Jesus. But we serve because we have been loved. We have been chosen. We have been forgiven. And that's the heart that allows us to do ministry. And ultimately, it's that heart of worship because we have received so much from God, because we have received so much uh, and been allowed to be part of his body and have the hope of eternity. And we have that heart of, of worship that we're able to serve others and they are allowed to receive grace through our worship and are changed and god is glorified and we're a community that is focused on that on seeing jesus worshiped and glorified everywhere in every place for all time so those five things definitely are important when we think about the purpose of the church even if you want to tweak them and add or subtract or reword it that's fine Uh, i'm not here to tell you exactly The only way, this is uh, definitely five things that are very important when we think about the purpose of the church. The second question, which I mentioned earlier, was what is the church's mission? So we do these things, but why do we do those things? What are are we supposed to accomplish through evangelism, discipleship, ministry, worship, and this community? Well, I think ultimately the the easiest way to, to get to that answer is to look at Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20 And our goal, our purpose, our desire should be to fulfill the great commission. This is how God is glorified. Even when we think about that idea that uh, God wants everywhere around the world to worship and praise him. That's our goal. Well, how does that happen? Well, we need more disciples. As we take that ministry of reconciliation, we're ambassadors for Christ, as Paul says, as we are disciple-makers, we go to all nations making disciples. Everywhere we go, and there are more disciples, there's more worship, there's more praise, there's more thanks. Everywhere we go and we see disciples made, there's more evangelism, there's more discipleship, there's more ministry being done, Uh, there's greater community. Now, none of those communities are perfect. None of the ministry that they do is perfect but there's certainly more attempts to do it so as we do our best to carry out this mission of, of making disciples uh, i think we use those things evangelism discipleship ministry worship community they're all part of that and ultimately they are the way that we fulfill the great commission you know i tr- i really love the way paul takes and puts it in second corinthians where he says we are ambassadors for christ you know that's what the church family is it is a group of people who are not sharing their own message they're sharing the message of christ and they're going throughout the world they're going throughout their life they're going throughout their job their family their community their neighborhood taking the message of jesus who am i why am i here well who i am am i well i'm a follower of jesus Why am I here? Well, you have to be somewhere. And wherever I go, Jesus is going to go with me. And I want him to be the center. I want him to be lifted up. I want him to be praised. And I think those two questions together, the purpose of the church and the church's mission, uh, really are important for us to consider and think about when we approach the church, because we can go so often with selfish desires Uh, I I hope to do our own thing, to be our own own person, to accomplish our own goals through the church, and that's usually not going to be a good way to go about it. I think we'll stop there today. I had more questions, but that's uh, a good start. Write me at Norman at runwithhorses.net. If you have questions, comments, if you'd just like to uh, let me know that you're listening, I'd love to hear from you. praying that you continue to pursue God daily and accomplish all that He has for you, wherever He takes you. It's often difficult, it's often hard, but it's always worth it. So whatever you do, as always, keep running.